So we come to chapter 11, guys, of the, the book of Acts. We're going to be in the first 18 verses tonight. And um, if you haven't been with us uh, over the last few weeks, what we've been seeing is that the physician Luke, who wrote this uh, book, his uh, focus over the last chapter or so has been back upon the apostle Peter, back in chapter 9. He told us about the conversion of Saul, who became Paul, and the beginning of his uh, ministry. And then at the end of uh, chapter 9, his focus went back upon Peter, and he was talking about Peter and his ministry to Cornelius uh, in Acts chapter 10. Now, before we get into our verses tonight, um, Joe, can I have a clicker, please? Cheers, bro. It's very important that we consider something that the Apostle Peter said in his second epistle in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And I'm just going to read those verses. It says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, because lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. That phrase there, growing the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now now the word grace and the phrase the grace of Jesus Christ is something that we're all familiar with. We know that the definition of grace is God's unmerited favour upon human beings. It's when he gives us something that we don't deserve. It's different to mercy because mercy is when God withhold something from us that we do deserve, which is judgment. And really, the grace of God is present in every single person's life, whether they're a believer or they're an unbeliever. There's something called common grace. Common graces that God gives to all people. Common grace is found in the gift of life. It's found in the air that we breathe every second freely. It's found in the water that we drink. It's found in the sun coming up every day. It's found in the the fact that harvests grow and we have food. Every person experiences that. And that's a grace because we don't deserve any of that, do we? No one can really give us a logical answer of why these things happen. It's because of God's common grace to all human beings. But to us in here who've accepted Jesus as our saviour, We've seen that we're sinners, we've seen that we needed him, we've believed in him. God has given us the grace of salvation. That grace was present when the Spirit drew you to God. That grace was present when faith was found in your heart the first time. And that grace was there when you were born again, when the Spirit came to dwell in your hearts. It's the grace of salvation. And this is what Peter's talking about. In these verses in 2 Peter chapter 3, it's the fact that we need to grow in the grace of salvation. Because there's a real truth that when we first get saved, we believe in Jesus, but we don't fully grasp, I think, the grace of God. Not in its entirety. It's something that we have to grow in as we grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually a promise that we're given. That God comes into our hearts... He starts to change us from the inside out to make us more like Christ and we get to know what grace is like the way Jesus knew it. 
That's something that God does within us. We grow in this grace of salvation. Now, I bring this up because Peter has been growing in this grace of salvation in Acts chapter 10. If you remember over the last couple of weeks, we've seen, haven't we, that at the beginning of Acts chapter 10, Peter has a very narrow view of God's grace. He thinks that God's grace is just for the Jews. And so what's happened is that God gave him that vision, if you remember, which we'll talk about later on. And he he gets to a point in Acts chapter 10 where he sees that the grace of God is not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles as well. I mean, he said in Acts chapter 10, verse 35, he said, But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And in that verse, Peter's acknowledging that God will accept people in other nations through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will work righteousness and they will fear him. And this is what God's been doing in Peter in Acts chapter 10. He's been growing him in the grace of and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at the beginning of our verses tonight, in verses 1 to 3, we see another group of people, another group of Christians that were in a similar position to Peter at the beginning of Acts chapter 10. So let's just read those verses. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? And so in these verses, we have this presentation of the believers that were in Judea, the apostles and the brethren. And obviously, they'd heard about what Peter was doing, because they'd heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God, which is another phrase for the gospel. And so when Peter came up to Jerusalem, it says there that those of the circumcision, which means the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, they contended with him. And when it says they contended with him, it means that they, they separated themselves from him in fellowship. And the reason was, was because they said in verse 3, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. What I want you to notice here is that God has shown us that these Jewish believers had a narrow view of God's grace. They still believed that God's grace was just for the Jews. We see that in what they say in verse 3, because in saying the statement that they make in verse 3, they are showing that they are ignorant to God in salvation. That, that phrase there, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them, you'll find that in the Old Testament law, there's no specific commandment that told Jews to not eat with Gentiles. It's implied, but there's not a specific commandment. And so what we have here is a product of generations of Jewish tradition. We have a product of generations of sinful men thinking that they know better than God. And this is what's happened. They hate Gentiles. But this also shows us that the Jews, the Jewish believers were naive of God's word in the Old Testament that prophesied that the Gentiles would receive salvation. I mean, the the Apostle Paul spoke about this in Acts chapter 9, when he spoke about a prophecy in Hosea that said 
there'll be a time when those people who were said to not be my people will be my people. And that was a reference to the Gentiles, that they would receive salvation when Jesus came. So these Jewish believers, are they have a narrow view of God's grace. And it's because, listen, they are holding on to things that they've received from sinful men, and they are naive to the word of God. And listen, this is the same for us. When we have a struggle with God's grace, when we, we have a narrow view of it, it is often because we're holding on to things that we have received from sinful men. It might be your parents, it might be your friends, it might be your experience of school or society, uh, or maybe your workplace, but you've inherited ideas about other people that are sinful, that give you a stumbling block when you're trying to accept God's grace. And the other thing is that it is often probably showing that we're naive to God's word. We haven't taken in the whole counsel of God's word on the specific subject of God's grace. So just remember that when you're struggling with God's grace, it may be that you're holding on to things that you shouldn't hold on to. It may be that you have a naive view of God's word. Go to him and deal with that. Pray to him about that and he will help you. So what do we see Peter do in response to this? Well, in verse 4, Luke tells us, it says, But Peter explained to them in order from the beginning, saying... Notice that Peter doesn't react harshly to these men. He doesn't say, how dare you? I am the apostle to the Jews. How dare you speak to me like this? Shouldn't you respect my authority? He doesn't answer in that way. In many ways, what Peter's doing here is the epitome of what it speaks of in Proverbs 15 verse 1, where it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And why is Peter responding this way? Well, listen, because God wants to do the same thing in these men, which he did in Peter in Acts chapter 10. He wants to grow these Jewish believers who have a naive view, a narrow view of God's grace, and he wants to broaden that. He wants them to have a greater sense of his love, of his grace and his mercy, not just for the Jews, but for every single man and woman that exists on the earth. Why does he want this to be the case? Well, he wants wants them to be part of his plan. He wants them to be part of taking the gospel to all the nations. I mean, brothers and sisters, with Jesus... There's only really two options when it comes to uh, his gospel. You're either with him or you're against him. In, In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said this. He said, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. There's only two options. You can either, you're either with Jesus or you're not with Jesus. You're either part of his plan or you're resisting his plan. And these guys, in the first three verses, are resisting. They're resisting God's grace to the Gentiles. And Jesus, he does not want that for them. He wants them to be part of this plan. He doesn't want them to scatter abroad. He wants them to gather with him. What an amazing example of God's grace. 
that someone who resists God's plan is being brought into God's plan through this wonderful, loving, wonderful saviour, Jesus Christ. In many ways, brothers and sisters, Acts chapter 10 and the beginning of this chapter is a wonderful, I think, example of what Jesus spoke of in John 15, verses 14 and 15. He says there, of the disciples, he says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things I heard from my Father I have made known to you. So I want you to listen to this very carefully. Peter and these Jewish believers, because they have put their faith in Jesus Christ, they've believed that he is the Messiah, that he is the Saviour. Listen, they've followed the command to respond to the gospel. So therefore, these men are Jesus' friends. They're his friends. And Jesus wants to share with these friends his business. He wants them to know what his plan is. And so therefore, he's going to do whatever it takes to bring them to a place where they understand his grace. And they're working with him to take the gospel to the nations. And this should be a great encouragement to us. Because, listen, Jesus is not limited by your naivety of the scriptures. Jesus is not limited by the things that you've inherited from sinful men. If you have believed in Christ in here tonight, you are Jesus' friend. Hallelujah. You are his friend. He wants you to know his business. He wants to use you to take the gospel to the nations. And he will do whatever it takes to bring you to that place. He will deal with those things that you are holding on to. He will deal with the naivety you have of his scriptures to grow you so that you can be fruitful. And so what we're going to see in the rest of these verses tonight is how God wanted to grow these men in his grace. To give them a broader understanding of the grace of salvation. And this is how God will grow us as well. We're going to see three things in in this uh, little section. The first thing we see is in verses 5 to verse 10. I'm just going to read those verses again. Peter says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. Now, in this first section, what we're going to see is that the first thing that God does when he wants to grow us in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ is he wants to grow us in a greater appreciation of the cross. In these verses, Peter is describing the trance that he had in the city of Joppa. He says, look, I was, in this, I was praying in Joppa, I had this trance, and I saw this sheet come down from heaven that had four corners. And on that sheet, there were all these animals. 
And I heard Jesus' voice, and Jesus said to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, No, I'm not going to do that, Lord Jesus, because there are things on here that are common or unclean, and I haven't eaten anything like that. And Jesus says, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, we have to understand that when Peter saw this sheet coming down from heaven, and he saw these animals on that sheet, and he heard Jesus say to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. He would have been thinking about Leviticus chapter 11. And in Leviticus chapter 11, that was the law that defined what meat Jews could eat and not eat. What meat was clean and what meat was unclean. It also says in that chapter about what animals they could touch if they were clean, what animals they couldn't touch if they weren't clean. And so what we see when Peter makes this response to Jesus, when he says, not so, Lord, I'm not going to do that, it's showing us, listen, that Peter had a, he did have a slightly narrow view of the cross. He believed that Jesus died for his sins, but he still had a very Jewish sense of salvation. He still believed that he had to follow the Old Testament law, particularly Leviticus 11, for him to be right with God. It shows us this in his response. And Jesus obviously knew this about Peter. And so Jesus says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying to Peter, look, Peter, when I lived and when I was at the cross, I fulfilled the law completely. I fulfilled the law completely for you. Perfectly. So therefore, all these laws that you're worried about in Leviticus 11, they, they're not for you anymore. In terms of salvation and being right with me, they don't, they, they don't, they don't mean anything anymore. And that's why Jesus says here that these animals have been cleansed. Because that law is not there anymore for Peter to, to fulfill for him to be right with God. And so Jesus is wanting to show Peter a greater sense of what he achieved at the cross. That he died for Peter's sins, yes, but he also fulfilled the law completely. So that Peter didn't have to follow the law anymore. Now this is what Jesus does with us. When he grows us in a greater appreciation of the cross, what he does is he shows us a greater sense of its implication. What I mean by that is this, that when you first get saved, you have a good idea that Jesus died for your sins. You also have a good idea that he might have died for those people around you, like your friends and your family. But as you grow in your relationship with him, as he grows you in a greater sense of what he achieved at the cross, Jesus begins to surprise you. He begins to show you that he actually died for people you don't like. That he actually died for your enemies. That he actually took the punishment for their sins as well. And Jesus begins to show you that not only did he do this, but that he loves those those people. And he wants you to love them as well. And this truth, even though you resist it, it grips your heart. It kind of doesn't let you go. You begin to see that actually, you know, Lord... I know I don't really get on with that person, but you want me to love them. Because you've died for them. You've taken the punishment and the wrath of God for them. 
This is what Jesus begins to do as we grow in that greater appreciation of the cross. But then not only that, but he grows us in a greater appreciation of how it applies to us personally. We begin to see as he grows us in this reality that when Jesus was at the cross, your old man died with Christ. That person that you were before you became a believer, he's gone. She's gone. They went with Christ. And when Jesus rose from the dead, you rose with him onto new life. Meaning that you can live a new life in Christ. You don't have to be in bondage to sin anymore. You can have victory over sin. You can grow to become more like Christ. And you can be fruitful for him, both in seeing people come to Christ and the church grow in holiness and righteousness. This is what he does in our hearts as he grows us in a greater appreciation of the cross. And this is really important to Jesus. And this is illustrated in the fact that he did this trance three times for Peter in verse 10. Can you see that? It says, now this was done three times. Now, I believe that the reason why he did this was because in Acts chapter 10, it says that when the, when the trance happened, Peter didn't know what it was about. It says that he was perplexed. And so Jesus kept on going. Man, I'm going to keep showing Peter this. I want to keep showing him this trance because I want him to get what I'm, I'm saying about my cross. And this is what he does with us. Jesus does not let us go in this. He keeps on going at our hearts, keeps on knocking on the door of our heart all the time to show us the implication and the application of the cross more and more. And eventually he gets there. Eventually Jesus wins our hearts in this regard. We see that shown to us in the fact that Peter, he got it in the end. In Acts chapter 10, uh, verses 28 and 29, Peter said this after he'd had this trance. He said, and this is when he's in Cornelius' house, he says, Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? And so this shows us that Peter got it in the end. Peter saw not only that Jesus was trying to show him that the law didn't matter anymore, but actually that he had cleansed the Gentiles at the cross. He'd not only cleansed the Jews, but he'd cleansed the Gentiles. He'd provided for that cleansing. And so therefore, he got it in the end. He got what Jesus was trying to say to him. And it's the same with us. Jesus will get us to that place where we get it. Where we know, we we just have the cross expounding out of our hearts all the time. Both in our personal lives and as we witness to other people. Now, I am on purpose not being very specific about how this happens. And I say that because I think it's different for different people. I don't think there's a formula to this. I know the principles that Jesus does it, that he'll keep doing it, and that he'll eventually get us there. But for each one of us, we all have to grow in different aspects or specific details of the cross. Because we're all at different maturity levels. But if we respond to what the Spirit's doing in our our lives, if we cooperate with him, 
it will bring much fruit. We will see God's grace so much more in the cross. So that's the first thing. God grows us in the cross. The second thing is in verses 11 to verse 16, where it says the following. It says, At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Syria. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Now in these verses we see the second thing that God does when he grows us in his grace. And that is that he confirms the character of God through the Spirit's leading. This section of this particular passage is the aftermath of Peter's trance. After his trance, these three men turn up where he is and they say, we've come for Peter. And Peter responds to the Spirit's leading and he goes with them. And as he goes with them, he begins to see incredible things take place. He begins to see that God has been working in Cornelius' life in verse uh, 13 and 14. And he also sees, in verse 15, how God wonderfully used him to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Now, we have to understand, this is really quite important, that what Peter did here was very difficult for him. When Peter went with those three men, it was very difficult because... It was difficult on on many levels. It was difficult religiously. It was difficult sociologically. It was difficult personally because he hadn't been around Gentiles that much. It was a very hard thing for him to do. But it says there that he did it without doubting. So we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why did Peter do this? Well, we've just seen, haven't we, that Peter was having this trance... And God was wanting to show Peter that he wanted to do something with the Gentiles. That he had cleansed the Gentiles, or he he provided for their cleansing at the cross. And so anyway, he's scratching his head about this, and he finally is getting it. And then these three Gentiles turn up at the door. And they say, we've we've come for Peter. We need Peter to, to, to come. And I believe what happened in Peter was he put two and two together. He began seeing that God was doing something in his heart, was showing him something incredible about his salvation, and he saw these three Gentiles turn up, and then the Spirit says, I want you to go with them. And he says, yes, Lord, I'll do it. So what was happening? The Spirit was confirming what God was already showing Peter. That's what he was doing. And because of his obedience, he saw incredible things happen. He saw the Gentiles have salvation, in the sense, for the first time. And this is what God wants to do with us. I I talked about this last week in the New Covenant, in Jeremiah. 
One of the incredible things about you being a believer in the new covenant is you get to know God. You personally can know God for yourself. You don't need anyone to teach you that. It says there in Jeremiah that people will not have to say anymore, know the Lord, because everyone will know the Lord, from the greatest to the least. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is in you. The Spirit of the Lord is in you, showing you the fact that the Father is a loving Father, that He cares about you, that He wants the best for you, that He's always true, He's always graceful, He's always merciful, that He will discipline you when He needs to. The Spirit shows you that Jesus is gentle, is humble, is meek, is the great shepherd. That Jesus can, um, he can understand the, the difficulties that you're going through, the temptations that you're going through. The Spirit begins to show you that he is the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of holiness. He's the spirit of power. You begin to see this wonderful, glorious Godhead for yourself. As it says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 19, It says, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What is that fellowship? Well, it's the fellowship that Jesus had on earth with the Father and with the Spirit. And you have been called to the same fellowship. You've been called to know this God for yourself. So that when the Spirit calls you to do certain things that may be difficult, you can go, ah, I know this corresponds to God's character. I know that this is what God would have me do because that's what God is like. And you do it. You're obedient to it. Because you love him. It's a bit like this. Imagine that you're in a room and you're there with a nuclear bomb. Just think about that for a moment. And it's going to go off in two minutes. And you've got two wires. You've got a blue wire and you've got a red wire. And you have to cut one of those wires to stop it from going off. So you're in this room by yourself and you've got, on the outside of the room, two bomb-disposing teams. You've got bomb-disposing team A and bomb-disposing team B. And on bomb-disposing team A is your best friend, who you know very well. You've spent hours with this person. They've gone through all of the nuclear bombs with you. They've gone through disposing them. They've gone through everything with you. And then on the other team, there's no one that you know. And the thing is, is that they're trying to compete for your attention in this room. And the question is, who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to follow? You're going to follow the person that you know. You're going to follow the person that you trust because you've spent time with them. They've taught you everything that they want to do, everything they want to achieve. They've taught you all the secret tactics. And therefore you cut that wire and you save hundreds of millions of people. But the point is this. That God wants you to know him. And that I believe is a promise that will be fulfilled in each one of your lives if you're born again. And it's as you know him, that as the Spirit leads you, it will confirm his character, you'll follow, and you will see great fruit. You'll see the fruit of people 
being drawn to the Lord, you'll see the fruit of people getting saved. This is what the Lord wants to do. Now, I do want to just warn us about something, though. And that is that there are two, that, well, there's one main reason why we don't follow the Spirit's leading when He tells us to do something. And it's because we have a false view of God. Christians tend to fall into one of two camps. They either have a tendency to think that God is this high and mighty judge that is looking down upon the earth and is ready to judge at any time, is ready to throw hail, fire and brimstone at the earth. And they forget the fact that God is loving, that he's graceful, that he's merciful. And if you believe in that God, you're not likely to follow him because you're going to always be scared that you're going to get it wrong. But then there's another group of Christians who think that God is this fluffy teddy bear in the sky. That he, he just, you know, it's just so lovely, so cotton woolish. That he doesn't judge. That he, does, he doesn't get angry. That he's always nice. He's always got an ice cream waiting for you. And if you believe in that God, you're not likely to follow the Spirit's leading because you think he won't ask you to do anything difficult. And often the Spirit calls us, listen, to do things out of our comfort zone. I mean, have you ever noticed how God might be challenging you on something? Like for me, it might be something like anger. And then all of a sudden, someone comes into your life that makes you angry. Have you ever noticed that? And God says, I want you to love that person. And that's hard. It's out of our comfort zone. We need to have, listen, brothers and sisters, a balanced view of God. We need to have, I would say, Jesus' view of God. That God is both a judge, yes, but he's both love. That he's grace, that he's mercy. That he's slow to anger, but he does get angry. Let us ask for that each day, because I believe if we do, then we're more likely to be fruitful and to see God's grace in greater ways. So lastly, in verses um, 16, 17, and 18, it says there, Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has has also granted to the Gentiles the repentance to life. Now, in these verses, we see the third and final thing that God does when he wants to grow us in his grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that is that he confirms his grace through the word of God. He confirms his grace through the word of God. We see in verse 16 that Peter's in this situation where the Spirit has fallen upon these Gentiles. And he remembers something that Jesus said when he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And because he remembered this word that Jesus spoke, in verse 17 he comes to the conclusion, well, if that's the case, who am I to withstand what God wants to do? 
Notice that the word of God, the words of Jesus, confirmed God's grace. Now, for me, I think these verses teach us something very simple. And that is the importance of God's word in our life. Jesus said in John 17, 17, he said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I love this verse because for me it's a proof text to anyone that wants to challenge the word of God's authority. Jesus is saying here that Christians need to be sanctified in God's truth. What is God's truth? It's the word of God, the logos, the revelation of God both in Jesus and in the written scriptures. This teaches us, brothers and sisters, that the word of God has always been right. It's always been an authority. It's always been true for every generation, every society, every nation, every people group. The word of God has always been this way. This is not me saying this. This is Jesus who is saying this. Our risen Lord and Saviour believed that the Word of God had this authority. So therefore, when the Word of God says something's good, it is good. When the Word of God says something's bad, it is bad. When the Word of God says there are consequences to certain actions, guess what? Those consequences will come. When the word of God says that Jesus is going to come back a second time physically, that is going to happen. And because of that, the word of God can be the only thing, listen, the only thing that can be the barometer of anything in our life. It can be the only thing that discerns our thoughts, our feelings and our circumstances. Because our thoughts, our feelings, and our circumstances, they're not always right. They're influenced by sin. And so therefore we can't trust them completely. But this word, we can trust. This word of God must be the barometer of everything in our lives. It was certainly the barometer for Peter. Because Peter remembered what Jesus said. And because he remembered that, he saw it as an authority and he saw that it confirmed what God was doing in that situation. And this should speak something to us. It should speak to us that the word of God should be important in our lives. James speaks about this in James chapter 1 verse 21. When he says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Notice the word implanted there, which means taken in. And I want to encourage you as best as I can tonight that God wants you to take in his word. Every preacher that you've probably heard will say to you, read the Bible. Listen to the Bible. But I want to be careful in saying that because I don't want to stumble you to legalism. To kind of make you think that you have to do it at a certain time, you have to read a certain number of chapters, etc., etc. Because when you do that, you put your trust in the method rather than in God speaking to you through the Word. 
But also, I don't want to stumble you into thinking that because you feel uncomfortable about that, that you shouldn't do it. God has given you this word so that you can have it implanted into your heart. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, that we as a generation are amongst the most blessed in the entire history of the church? Because we just have to go onto our iPads, push a button, and we've got the word of God. Hundreds of years ago, people died to translate this into English. People lost their lives. They were burned at the stake for translating God's word into English. We of all generations are blessed because we have the freedom to read God's word, man. Sorry I'm getting passionate about this, but I just think it's something that Christians in the 21st century just can't get their heads around. I think of that verse that says, to those who have been given much, much is expected. We as a generation have been given so much, brothers and sisters, in the word of God, and God will ask us about that in the future. And again, I'm not saying this to try and condemn you. I'm just trying to highlight the fact that this word has been given to us. It is a blessing, so therefore we should take it in. We should allow it to be implanted in our hearts. And I would encourage you, go to Jesus, go to the Lord and say, Lord, how do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do it in the morning? Do you want me to do it in the day? Do you want me to do it at night time? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to do it every day or do you want me to do it once every other day? Whatever. In a sense, I don't really mind. All I care about for you as a pastor is that you are taking the word of God in. Because the spirit will take that word and he will teach you everything you need to know. You don't need John or myself. It speaks of this in the uh, epistle of 1 John. You have the anointing of the spirit within you. That spirit can teach you whatever you need to know. I've said it before, that Bible teachers are useful, but they're not essential. What is essential is that you're saved, that the spirit is in you, and I believe that you are allowing the word to be implanted into your hearts. And what will happen is, is if you do that, when you're in situations that you're unsure about, and I've had this happen to me before, God will bring a verse up in your heart. And he'll say, this is what's happening right now. I'll share this uh, with you. Uh, When I was on the day that I got married, um, I uh, was given a prophetic warning over my life by my best man. It was very uh, sobering. Um, He gave me a warning about a situation in my family that I didn't really see at the time. And anyway, I I, I didn't forget what he said, but about um, six or seven years later, this situation came up in my family. And I remember I was in my room having to make a decision about this. And I was saying, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? Because I'm just stuck. I don't know what to do. And the Lord reminded me at that very instance, he said, do you remember what John said to you on your wedding day? That is for now. And he confirmed it through uh, a scripture with Abraham. That's an example in my life. But God wants to do that with you as well. He wants to confirm his grace through the word of God. And so the result of this 
in verse 18, having grown in the grace of God through having a greater appreciation of the cross, the character of God through the leading of the Spirit, and through the word of God confirming God's grace, in verse 18, we see that these Jewish believers who were resistant to God's grace at the beginning for the Gentiles are now saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. They've gone from a narrow view of God's grace to a broader view of God's grace. They've gone from resisting what God wants to do to being part of what God wants to do. And as we go on in in Acts, we're going to see them having a more central role in defining things in the church, particularly in Acts chapter 15.